0: In this episode, we are talking about physical behavior and its association to metabolic syndrome and type 2 diabetes. And we have a great guest for this episode. Previously, she has been working in National Institute of Health in US. Currently, she is working as an associate professor at Department of Social Medicine at Maastricht University, Netherlands. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome our guest, Dr. Anne-Marie Koster. Welcome, Anne-Marie.
2: Thank you very, very much, Olli. Uh, uh, pleasure to be here.
0: Yeah, pleasure to have you. So should we start about about your background? Could you tell a little bit little bit about it?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I was trained as an epidemiology, epidemiologist. Um, I did my master's in Wageningen in the Netherlands. Uh, Wageningen University um, and after that I did a PhD in health sciences at Maastricht University uh, that was more in social epidemiology so looking at socio-economic health differences and after that I had the opportunity to start a postdoc position in the United States at the National Institute on Aging with uh, Dr. Tamara Harris and uh, that's where I spent uh, the, the five years after that Um, And I really didn't want to become a true expert in, let's let's say, the social epidemiology, but broaden my background. So I wanted to work on uh, lifestyle, uh, obesity, body composition, and that were the topics I worked on in the the United States. And I got interested in uh, physical activity and especially the objective monitoring of it. And I had the chance to start some uh, sub-studies also using accelerometry, in, for example, the H.S. Reykjavik study, and yeah that's something um, I still do and uh, I moved back in 2011 uh, to the Netherlands and uh, this is the main thing I'm still working on at the moment.
0: Hmm. So measuring objective measuring of physical activity and obesity lifestyle and physical activity. So so what kind of projects you have have ongoing and have have done.
2: Yeah so one of the reasons uh, I moved back to the Netherlands Uh, I was offered a position at Maastricht University again, uh, a different group, Um, but there was uh, the Maastricht study being set up at the time, and up to then I worked with large cohort studies mainly, so using data of uh, big data uh, sets, and now I had the opportunity to be part of a study that was in the beginning, so being able to set up the study, the Maastricht study, uh, which is a large uh, study here in the south of the Netherlands. Um, it's focused on the causes and consequences of type 2 diabetes um, people are between 40 and 75 years of age and the idea was to set up this large study deep phenotyping so lots of in-depth measurements and uh, a big sample so the idea was uh, to have 10,000 people uh, in the study so that was my main reason um, to to come back uh, and I'm still working on the master's study we are currently we have just celebrated our 10th birth- birthday, um, so we're 10 years um, uh, yeah, on, on, on the way. And um, one of the things that I mostly um, work on is uh, the physical activity or physical behavior measurement in this study. Um, we use the Active pal uh, to measure physical activity, and we now completed the baseline assessment, and our final cohort has uh, 9,200 people in it. So. Uh, yeah large studies with uh, lots of opportunities for me to learn and to uh, yeah to continue the physical activity uh, research
0: Hmm. sounds sounds very interesting so you have close to 10,000 participants and you have done this for 10 years so could you tell a little bit more about do you follow the same people for 10 years and see that if they get the type 2 diabetes or oh, how how does the study study work how is the design
2: yeah so we this is a at the moment uh we have collected only baseline data in 9200 people so it took some time uh to collect uh, all the data uh over the years um and we oversample uh people with type 2 diabetes in order to understand the causes and consequences but also to understand why is it that uh people with diabetes but also with diabetes, have many other uh, chronic diseases like we know that there are some like more the classical uh, complications of, of comorbidities of diabetes, like cardiovascular disease. But we also see that people with diabetes have lots of other problems and also, also things like depression and cognitive decline. So the idea was to better understand why that is the case. So that's why people with type 2 diabetes are oversampled. So the baseline data collection is our uh, four uh, visits to the research center. So we really measure yeah, almost everything, I would say. Uh, lots of measurements, also questionnaire data. And then uh, we follow them yearly with an annual follow-up questionnaire. So for the first group, we already have uh, almost 10 years of follow-up data self-reported and uh, at the end of last year, we started a new round of measurements. So we have now funding to reinvite four thousand people of the original cohort to redo the measurements. And of course, that will be uh, yeah uh, very important for us uh, to have the these follow up measurements. And hopefully, yeah, we can continue uh, for the next um, uh, next years ahead, like something like the Framingham study. Yeah, that's that's uh, some, something we we look up to uh, as a study.
0: So, so you said that you have only finished the baseline in in ten years, and now now starting to do the first first follow up measurements. That's that's quite a bit of work, and and how do you plan to do the follow ups? How often do you do you plan to do them, and what do you expect to see there in the results?
2: Yeah. So uh, when we started this study, we thought we could uh, maybe in cycles of every five years to revisit people. But it really depends also on the funding. And that's a big challenge for cohort studies to require funding. In the Netherlands, there's not really, um, yeah, like national, uh, continuous national funding for cohort studies like the Maastricht study. So uh, we are dependent on um, what are the possibilities. So I guess if you ask me uh, what I would like to see is that we indeed follow them, follow a group of people and measure them every five to 10 years again Um, because, but that really depends uh, on the funding, uh, unfortunately. And what we expect, I think one of the, we can already, uh, we have already looked at many things. We have learned a lot of things already from the study, but of course it's it's much stronger now if we can, um, we looked at associations because the study was cross-sectional until now, um, but we do need longitudinal studies uh, in order to, yeah to distinguish the causes and effects um and that yeah that is our challenge for the next uh, next years ahead
0: mm. and and what kind of things you you found out in the cross sectional part of the study
2: yeah so so if to to focus a little bit on on my own topic so um we have active pell data in um in now almost nine thousand uh, participants Um, We started analyzing data of the first 3,500. We started uh, that with a PhD student at the time in uh, 2015-16. And one of the first things we looked at is how physical behavior and particular sedentary behavior, that's one of my interests, is associated with uh, type 2 diabetes. And at the time, now there are many more studies, but at the time this was the first large posture-based accelerometry study on this topic. Um, and we showed that, yeah, that the more people sit, the higher the risk of having diabetes. So uh, to give you a sense of the effects that we found, uh, we found that each additional hour was of sitting time was associated with about a 20% increased risk of having type 2 diabetes. And this was independent of um, yeah, the regular confounders like cardiovascular risk factors, other lifestyle factors, but also independent of, um, yeah, exercise or moderate to vigorous physical activity. So it looks like, it looked like that sedentary behavior was associated with diabetes independent of um, of physical activity. So that was uh, one of our first uh, papers on the uh, on the physical activity side, let's say.
0: Yeah. So so you said that one hour increase in sedentary behavior increased the risk. 20 percent independent of exercise that's that's quite a big big increase and and is it over a certain threshold or you look like the whole kind of continuum and how, how much people were were sitting on on average or what was the range about in in sitting time?
2: Yeah, so we looked at the whole whole continuum, um, and on average in our study, uh, so people are between forty and seventy-five years of age. In the group without diabetes, people were sitting on average nine hours a day. So that was, yeah, it's quite high, I would say. Um, And in the pre-diabetes group, it's already a bit higher, about nine and a half hours a day. And in the diabetes group, it's it's ten hours a day. So between those without and with diabetes, there was a one hour difference um, in sitting time, of course, all unadjusted, but just looking at uh, the amount of sitting time, quite a quite a difference.
0: Yeah, I, I I fully agree. It's quite a quite a difference and quite a considerable founder how, finding. How how confident you are that this is really so and there's not not big confounding factor or something that explains it, but that the type two diabetes risk would, would really be so strongly related to sedentary behavior
2: good question because uh, first thing of, of course we have to realize that these are cross-sectional findings eh, so we cannot distinguish cause and effect uh, you could argue that maybe maybe because people were diagnosed with diabetes they were sitting more because of it um, so uh, although even others would say when people get the diagnosis of diabetes they may they may. Um, uh, get a slightly healthier lifestyle and even move a little bit more. We don't actually see that, but of course that is one limitation. It's cross-sectional regarding the, the adjustments we do have many things measured. So I'm quite confident that uh, the factors we could adjust for, um, that's quite, um, that's quite well done. I would, I would say, um, so, but yeah, of course we, we should, uh, when, once we have follow-up data, uh, on the measurements, we we could really um, uh, distinguish cause and effect and could look if sedentary time at baseline uh, predicts incident diabetes. We have one project ongoing where we look at the self-reported diabetes. Um, We are currently in the analysis uh, phase, so I don't really have the results yet, but that will be uh, a first step towards uh, longitudinal uh, data. And of course, yeah, we digged a little bit deeper in the data. Uh, So we also uh, ran some isotemporal substitution models, like uh, saying something about the theoretical replacement of sitting time. And also here, we we looked at what is the effect of replacing, uh, theoretically, replacing 30 minutes of sitting time uh, by, for example, stepping time. And we see that it it would reduce your uh, risk of type 2 diabetes. So suggesting that really these small changes may have a favorable effect on on diabetes and also uh, metabolic markers, uh, such as lipid levels, glucose levels, insulin. Um, So suggesting small changes could potentially have a big health impact. And some of the other work, um, uh, if I may, we looked at also we have, we have of course, MVPA, eh, moderate to vigorous physical activity, but we also have cardiorespiratory fitness. So we were also interested, like, what is the effect of fitness here? Uh, we, so we looked at associations of these three components, moderate to vigorous physical activity, fitness, and sitting. And we did find that they, were actually, they are actually, they're all associated with diabetes, not to a surprise, of course. And uh, cardiorespiratory fitness was most strongly associated with diabetes. But then in the next step, we wanted to look at the interaction. So within those who have a high fitness, does it matter how much you sit? And um, I think that was interesting that we did see that in those with a high uh, cardiorespiratory fitness, those who sit a lot, did also show a higher risk of diabetes. So looking at like um, all these analyses together, I'm quite confident that there. Is an association between sitting time and uh, diabetes
1: for most sedentary behavior and physical activity researchers collecting the research data is one of the most frustrating steps of a project especially as inefficient data collection steals too much of your precious time causes unnecessary stress and hassle and can easily derail progress of your project this is why we devised a revolutionary new way to collect data. Introducing Fibian Sense Motion, the beginning of a new era. Fibian Sense Motion is a cutting edge, next generation system that allows you to easily and remotely collect, store, and manage data. Our solution features a tiny, waterproof device that captures the sedentary behavior and physical activity data a mobile app for automatic uploading of the data from the device and a cloud service for managing the data. Even better, all collected data is GDPR compliant and you have access to automatically analyzed variables of activity types and raw 3-axis accelerometer data. Don't compromise on the quality of your research or the project timeframes. Discover the convenience and power behind our solution at sens.phibian.com that is s e n s.phibian.com phibian created by researchers for researchers
0: yeah that's that's a very interesting finding uh, and and really looking forward when you can get also to longitudinal data analysis and and about participant selection i had a recording with andreas halterman and we were talking about the bias in in choosing white collar workers and not not any not having any blue collar workers how how was your participant selection how did you do it for the study
2: yeah that's a good question and a, a difficult one at the same time so Um, Participants were recruited from the general population, so to the municipality registries, Um, but uh, we oversampled people with type 2 diabetes. So in the south of the Netherlands, there's a diabetes registry, and that's one source where we uh, recruited people from. Um, And at the end, what we did see and uh, what we also allowed that when the study got more known uh, people knew, their, uh, heard from their neighbors or their friends who were participating in the study because it's, at the end it is a quite local study. People came to us as volunteers, like we also want to participate. So we also allowed that. So in that sense, we are not uh, claiming or cannot claim that we are a representative uh, sample of the, the the south of the Netherlands or the city of Maastricht. However, we did pay attention that we would recruit people from all neighborhoods. And also from all areas um, to make sure that we have a representation of each also the for example lower socioeconomic status neighborhoods um, but of course, in each study and also in our study, we know that people are probably a bit healthier uh, and they are we also see that they are in a general a bit higher educated than the general population, so that is that is true. Of course, this you can adjust for in your analysis, but uh, we have to realize that uh, that's the case. And we also see that in our group with uh, diabetes, um, when you look at their HbA1c levels and the duration of diabetes, we see that these are people who do not have diabetes for a very long time, most of them, and they're very well regulated. And the very well regulation is, of course, also a merit of the good uh, clinical care, uh, but it's also true that the more severe people with yeah with complications of diabetes that um, have really big medical issues yeah they may not be able to participate so they don't participate in our study because at the end they have to come to us and uh, come to uh, the research center for their visits so yes we have a slightly healthier population both in the diabetes group and in the the non-diabetes group
0: Hmm. yeah and it it sounds like a very very interesting study. Is it, is it unique in the world? Is there other studies who have have such a wide range of measurement and such a large sample size?
2: No, I think that is the unique part of our study that the deep phenotyping um and we have some measures that were yeah, kind of new uh, experimental almost. So we have measures for example of microcirculation. Uh, we look at the the, the, the circulations like vascular stiffness measurements, pulse wave velocity, those type of things. But we also look at the micro circulation so the smallest uh, vessels. And that was one a more experimental measure that we didn't know yet how it would work. Would we see something? But, for example, that's one of the things we learned um, more about. Um, and we also have MRI data. So we have brain MRI and abdominal MRI, so uh, in-depth uh, body composition Uh, measurements. Um, And yeah, everything that may be associated with diabetes, we would measure. Um, So indeed, I think our study is unique by the in depth measurements and by the numbers. Um, And I think not that many studies do have this focus on type two diabetes.
0: And yeah, sounds interesting. The microcirculation. Could you, could you tell a little bit more? I'm not sure if it was your expertise, but it's it's interesting. How, how how is it measured, and what kind of results you have have seen this far?
2: I am not the true expert, indeed. I know a little bit about it. So we have different measures that could say something about the microcirculation. Uh, microcirculation. So we have an eye measurement where we look in the smallest uh, vessels in the eye that's one of them. Uh, We look also at the skin, um, so the small vessels in in the skin with an automatic measurement, and there's one measurement where we look at um, uh, the nail bed uh, and then um, have a cuff around the finger uh, to look at the dilation of of the vessels. Um, That says also something about the microcirculation, so really different uh, type of measurements, and you do see that even in those with uh, pre-diabetes, these are people who ha- who are basically at risk for for getting uh, type two diabetes. We also see that their microcirculation is already affected, even though they don't have any complaints yet. And you may not see it uh, in their in their vascular measures yet, but in the microcirculation, they're uh, they are already doing a bit worse than than the healthy group.
0: And and how easy is this to measure? Could this be kind of a Early indicator of of pre diabetes or something? Could it could it be actually some kind of indicator, indicator or clinical measurement in the future?
2: Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I I think some of these measurements are actually quite complicated, so they may not be a quick uh, test uh, to do. Uh, so I think. Uh, for example, the eye measurement is is no even that one is more no I don't think we can use them as let's say biomarkers I think it's much easier to measure glucose levels uh, to get an idea of pre diabetes than uh, looking at markers of uh, microcirculation.
0: Yeah, and then if we move, you you have been mainly responsible for the objective measurement of of physical activity, and you have measured over nine thousand people could you tell about the practicalities how how has been the process it's it's a lot of data it's a lot of logistic of the devices how how have you succeeded
2: yeah so we started um actually we we, we did at when we were thinking about an accelerometer we 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 wanted to have a measure of posture as well so we wanted a posture based accelerometer and then you get uh, to a phi uh, measurement at the time uh, we were thinking about this, there were not that many studies or large studies with thigh-worn accelerometry yet. Uh, mostly smaller studies, um, and then so that's how we decided and to come up with uh, the active Pell at the time. We decided um, so we see all participants, so uh, that's one advantage. So we can we stick the active PEL on the participant's thigh uh we also we use a waterproof attachment, so we waterproof it, then use the Derm to attach it, and then we ask people to wear it uh, one week continuously if it falls off or if people want to take it off, uh, then they can bring it back. We don't advise them to put it back on themselves unless they sometimes people are really fanatic participants and come back to us to reattach it, so then we do it, but in principle, we ask people um to just leave it on a week. Take it out, take it off themselves, and bring it back to the research center. And I have to say, it worked very well. The compliance is is very high, so we do see that uh, over ninety percent wears it actually f- four or more days. So I was very happy to see that. Um, of, yeah, with with um, continuous wear, you sometimes see a bit of skin irritation. So we do have some participants um, that have that, but it's not a yeah. People don't consider this a big burden, uh, and we didn't get many complaints at all. We didn't lose many devices, so overall, I think yeah, I am happy with the way uh, the logistics went and the measurements uh, have been done.
0: And so, so you said that you you waterproof the device. Do you use a heat sealing or the nitrile cover, or how do you do it?
2: Yeah, we use the neutral sleeve indeed, and then uh, have a, then tape it with tapeader. And yeah. Then it's waterproof and then we attach it to, to the thigh.
0: So is the nitrile cover against the skin? I'm just thinking about the skin irritation that you haven't had many problems. So good good thing to learn from your experiences.
2: Yeah, so, so I think what gives the skin irritation sometimes, and I have had it myself at some point after five, six days, you think it starts to itch a little bit. It's not necessarily the waterproofness of the device, but it's more the tegaderm that you want to take take off at some point. Um, and it, it, it causes sometimes a bit of redness. I mean, no serious complaints really. Um, and we now also use it in a trial and where where, where we ask people to uh, wear an accelerometer multiple times, so every three months. And people do it, they don't complain, it's, 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 it works well
0: and and how is the how is the percent it's how many people on on average a ball, ballpark figure how many people have skin irritation and how many actually have real problems with it
2: actually i don't have the numbers um no i don't have these numbers but i i hear from the people who are um getting the devices back at the research center that some people mention it but uh, no serious complaints so it it's um no remarkable uh, numbers, otherwise I would have known it. Yeah.
0: Mm, yeah, yeah. All right, sounds good. So you you attach the device to the thigh, and then they keep it, and and it has all been going good. How how is the how many devices you need for for this to measure nine thousand two hundred people?
2: Actually, not that many because we uh, have we have taken so many years um, to collect data. So I think at when we were collecting data at the maximum speech with speed which was 2000 participants a year um i think we needed a little bit over 100 devices um so not that many because we yeah we reuse them uh, all the time um, yeah between uh, I, uh, maybe 120 or so we we have and you see after f- five six years we really, we uh, they were at the end of their life um, lifetime, so we needed to buy uh, new devices. So now for also for the follow up measurements, we bought a new uh, batch of devices because uh, you see that um, yeah they're slowly uh, dying. Um, but all in all, you yeah if if you have enough time for the measurements, you don't you don't need that many. You can keep reusing them, so which is really good